0: the nothing personal word of the day it's monday october 24th 2022 brooms i never really liked that running a baseball team brooms are when you sweep a team in a three-game series during the regular season you can't do it with a two-game series there are a bunch of two-game series that the team has if you win two no one brings out the brooms if you win three in a three-game series you say that's a sweep that's sort of cool but brooms are generally reserved for a four-game sweep, which is the longest series. Although, with the lockout, there were six-game regular season series. That would be one heck of a sweep. But brooms are what the Astros pulled out. Today is Monday. I'd like to give you my imitation right now. If you're on Nothing Personal with David Sampson, the YouTube channel, you can see what I'm doing. I'm giving you an imitation, and I'm going to talk you through it in case you're listening. Of what's happening in the commissioner's office right now today monday october 24th <laughs> they're crying both league championship series finished the astros swept the yankees and the phillies beat the padres in five games they both ended on a Sunday, on a football Sunday. There's no games, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, four straight days, because the World Series is scheduled to start Friday. And it's not like any other sport where you could move the schedule, although you really don't move it anymore. In the NBA, the finals is now set. They don't move up any series. They're scheduled when they're scheduled. The World Series is scheduled to start Friday. That's it. Why is that a problem? I'm going to get into the teams because so much happened that interests me. But the reason it's a problem is that the broadcasters want seven games. I've explained to you why. That is where the numbers come. They they lose games of ad revenue. So here's how you look at it. They had the ability for two sevens, which is 14. And then in the first round, you have the ability. I, I'm doing this math. This is totally off the cuff because... Coke and I did not even think this was in the show, but here we go. There were four wild card series, and only one went three. That was the Met Padres. So there could have been 12 games, and there were nine. Remember? Because three of them were sweeps. Am I right about that? That there were three sweeps? The Guardians swept, and uh, the, the Guardians swept the Rays. Anyway, go ahead. The Mariners swept the somebody. Anyway, I believe it was out of a total. Out of a total of 12, they only got nine games. All right, are you keeping track of that? Then there were the division series. Do you remember how many of those went five? Yankees, Guardians went five. But there's four division series. That means there could be 20 games, five games each, 20 games. There was a three, two fours, and a five. That is 20. No, it's not. Five, eight, 12, 16 out of 20. Are you understanding what I'm saying? 16 out of 20 games were played in the division series, that's it. Now in the league championship series, there could have been 14 and there were only 9. This is a problem because there are make goods in these contracts where Major League Baseball has to refund or add an extra year or provide extra content, do something to make these broadcast networks both Fox and, and Turner whole. In addition, the pool, the playoff pool, ends up being much less because there are fewer gates, and that's the pool that the players split and the umpires get a cut and the league gets a cut, etc. Now we head to a World Series, and it's the Phillies and the Astros. Philadelphia and Houston. There is no team on the West Coast, no, none of the New York teams, when Major League Baseball was almost positive, they would have some New York representation. What, with the Mets winning 100 games, with the Yankees winning 99 games? The assumption was they don't want a subway series because that's not inclusive of the West Coast or anybody in the central time zones. So they don't like New York versus New York. But New York versus L.A., that would have been really good. But man, there's so many great stories coming out of Houston and out of Philadelphia. I want to talk about the Yankees sweep. They lost the first three games. When you when you're down three nothing, you pretty much know you're done. One team has won being down three nothing, and that was the Red Sox in 04 when they were down three nothing to the Yankees, ironically. And that required all sorts of things. Ironically, the manager of the Dodgers, the current manager Dave Roberts, was involved in a huge moment. Uh, to help the Red Sox win one of those games back in 2004. He was a player back then. But what happens in a game four is one of two things. Either a team just is finished and gives up, or a team gets itself off the mat and says, hey, let's at least force them to play us again. And I really thought that uh, we didn't do our picks because it was a Sunday game, but I can imagine me telling you that it would make plenty of sense for the Yankees to win. I had the Yankees, as you know, in our pick of the day, winning game three with Garrett Cole. But they go into a game four, and they take a lead early in the game, like first inning type of early. They're up 2-0. Lance McCullers is pitching for the Astros. And I'm thinking to myself, this is great. They have another leadoff hitter, Harrison Bader. They've switched the lineup over almost every day. They went back to Harrison Bader in the leadoff. They got a little offense. They're getting more offense than they had the first three games. You know, they're showing some pride. The problem with pride and trying to win a game is when it's so clear and apparent that the team you're playing is so far superior to you, there's not much to say. Jeremy Pena hits a three-run home run. They tie the score at three, like in the third inning, and that's it. It's game over. Even though the Yankees took a lead, it went back and forth. At the end of the day, the Astros were just better in every facet of the game. What was interesting to watch after the game was Aaron Boone talking about the game, and here's how that works when you lose a series, as you've seen after every game, if you're watching CBS Sports HQ, the managers all go to the podium and meet the media. You get 10 minutes after a game where you get to relax, you get the general manager and the PR people in your office, you're talking about a few talking points, win or lose, and then the manager goes in and meets the media. And after you lose a series, you know what that is going to be like. And what it was like was a, uh, very funeral-like. You know, Aaron Boone was obviously very disappointed, and I think people don't necessarily understand. The Yankees, like every team, have been together since the middle of February, and it is now the middle of October. That is eight months. It is a very, very long season, and you're together with these guys every day. You are pushing the boulder up the hill every single day. You go from the leader at the all-star break you for the best record they're gonna set the record the yankees are unstoppable do you remember everything said about the yankees and i've asked you to remember when i was on their hype video for the playoffs because on nothing personal we said hey the yankees aren't good enough they're not as good as the astros they don't have the pitching to get through october i've been saying it the whole time aaron boone gets on the podium And he's asked a few questions. The first one is, how does it feel knowing that you are not as good as the Astros? What do you need to do to close that gap? He can't answer that question. And he's not going to answer that question. He's then asked about Aaron Judge. How do you feel about him? Is he going to come back? Is he not going to come back? All you can say when asked about that question is, God, I hope he comes back. Aaron Judge is one of the many Yankees who had a horrific postseason. He was five for 36 in the playoffs, a non-factor. He hit that home run and gave five against the Guardians. The Cleveland Guardians took them five games. An AL Central team, clearly inferior to the Yankees, took them to five games. The Astros are no Guardians. When you do not perform in the playoffs, that in no way... Costs you money if you are an Aaron Judge caliber free agent. If you're Carlos Beltran in 2004 and have an amazing playoff run and then get a huge contract, that's pretty cool, except that really doesn't happen anymore. Executives have gotten smarter about small sample sizes, and while you can say, oh, what a clutch performer because of what this player did in the playoffs. That does not mean that you're going to want him on your regular season team for a contract that doesn't make sense. Aaron Judge will not get more money because of his playoff run, and he won't get less money because of his playoff run. It will have zero impact in the negotiation. Should it? Absolutely not. Over a 36 at-bat sample there was certainly more than one time that he went five for 36. And I—that that is totally anecdotal. Haven't checked it. But slumps happen during the course of a season. The way the Yankees are constituted as they headed into that series with the Astros, where exactly did they think they were going to find four victories in seven games? Was it Garrett Cole? The ace? No. Was it Luis Severino coming back from Tommy John? No. Was it Nasty Nestor Cortez, the greatest story of the the season? The new number two starter. Are you watching Nasty Nestor? He's not a number two starter. He had a terrific year, don't get me wrong. But the Yankees front office is going to get together, and they're going to realize they need to fortify their pitching staff. I think finally they're going to realize. But here's what happens. They go back home, they come back, the players, some of the players will come back in today to finish cleaning their stuff, although the majority will have taken all their stuff after last night's game. Brian Cashman will come in the office today, just be around to say goodbye to players, to see his manager, Aaron Boone, will come into the Yankee Stadium today as well. They don't take today off, they come in and get their stuff. And then the conversations start with Hal Steinbrenner, who will also be in the office today. You don't get a day off. The offseason starts now. The team with the day off is the Astros. They celebrated in New York. They don't get right on their charter plane and go home last night. They party all night in New York. They wake up this morning, and then the plane will leave, let's say, around 2 o'clock. Gives them time, check out of the hotel, buses at 12.30, wheels up at two. That was our general timing for uh, post-afternoon game, post-playoff game. The flight to New York after we beat Chicago in 2003, and that's what what Houston's doing. That's what Philly's doing when they fly to Houston, and they're going to—World Series opens Friday in Houston. Philly's on that flight, taking a flight. Houston's taking a flight because they both have to get to Houston. It's one of the great flights ever because you're not—you're not partying to the point that you've won the world series because you have four games to win but you're partying on that plane because you have plenty of days we partied on the plane from chicago to new york and we were playing the world series i believe we flew to new york on a sunday night because that's when game seven was and the world series opened on a tuesday and we had a workout monday i believe that is exactly what happened we'd have to check that when game one was of the 03 world series but that's a pretty fun flight you've won the pennant So Brian Cashville will come in the office, start meeting with Hal Steinbrenner because the Yankees offseason planning starts today, and they got a lot of questions. Where are you on the Yankees? Do you view their season as a failure? Well, I do. When you're the New York Yankees and you've got the third, second highest payroll every year, when you spent the most money over a period of 10 years and you do not have a World Series appearance to show for it, I am considering that a failure. Now, other people will argue with you. Yankees Nation will argue with you and say, no, we're fine. We are in the playoffs every year. We're competitive every year. We have a chance every year, and that's all you can ask for. And my version of that is I don't care. I don't I'd give up the chance to win every year for having won one year. I would give up the chance to win every year for having won one year. What kind of decision do you make about Aaron Judge? Well, it's very simple. You offered him $213 million in the offseason. He didn't take it. He then had a historic season. You're going to need a three in front of that number that you offer him. Are you willing to? And the answer is the Yankees will be. Aaron Judge is not going to the Giants. Aaron Judge is not going to the Mets. Aaron Judge is going to re-sign with the Yankees because they have not won yet. It's one thing when you let Freddie Freeman go and you've won the World Series. The Yankees do not have the guts to get rid of Aaron Judge having not won or even appeared in a World Series during his tenure in New York. The Yankees will have no choice but to overpay Aaron Judge because they have not won with Aaron Judge. Think about that statement. The Yankees will overpay for Aaron Judge because they have not won with Aaron Judge. It's insanity. I can sit in front of my fan base and say, hey, we love Aaron. Outstanding. But we need different, more, and better players. What's wrong with admitting that? Do you try to trade Stan; He's got a no-trade clause. It's not going to work. Do you get rid of Cole? Nah. But dollars are fungible. If you spend dollars on one person, you can't spend them on another. I'm not suggesting the Yankees are going to lower their payroll. What I am suggesting is they need to reallocate the resources. Look at the Astros. The Astros continue to be good. They're still coming off the rebuild of having lost three seasons in a row, 100 games or more. They do better internationally. Look at Urquidy and Javier, uh, Valdez, Alvarez. They draft a Correa. And then they're smart enough to let Correa go. The Houston Astros did not sign their own free agent this past off season, why? They had another international player ready to go. Oh, by the way, he won the MVP in the American League Championship Series, Jeremy Pena. Getting paid 700 grand instead of Correa's 30 million. Would you rather pay a player 700 grand or 30 million for the same performance? Oh, by the way, Pena's performance was better than Correa. If I'm House Time I'm looking at what the Astros have done and I'm wondering to myself why can't Brian Cashman do this? What resources do we not have? Is it intellectual capital that we're missing? Because it certainly can't be financial capital. Our payroll is higher than the Astros. We spend more money than they do internationally. We spend more money than they do on getting the people in place for our development and scouting. Is it a human capital issue? It's gotta be is it luck? Can it be luck when it's over a sustained period of time? Can the Yankees say, well, that can never be us because we're never going to tank and we're never going to have 300 lost seasons? Why not? The Astros are going into their fourth World Series in six years. If they win the World Series this year like they did in 17 and they're favorite to do so, heavy prohibitive favorites, they're a dynasty, the kind of dynasty the Yankees haven't had since the core four of Jeter and Jeter and Jeter and Jeter. I think it was Pettit and Rivera and Posada as well. But let's just call it the Jeter dynasty. It's 20 years ago. The Dodgers don't have a dynasty. They won in 2020. The Nationals don't have a dynasty. They won in 2019. The Braves don't have a dynasty. They won in 22. Four in six years with two actual rings. Astros, six straight LCS appearances. That's a dynasty. We spent so much time, and this is when I was in the game, spending time studying these organizations. We would try to learn about the Rays, try to learn about what the Astros are doing, try to figure out what our appetite was, and we realized we could never do it for two major reasons. One, we weren't willing to tank. We we lost plenty, but we never tanked. And two, we weren't willing to do what it takes to have the patience, once you do tank, to really tank and then Make the right decisions and stick with the right people and build it out and then be ready to spend when you're ready to win. The Houston Astros do everything right. Now we can quibble about garbage cans and we can quibble about buzzers. Where is the weakness in the organization? On the field. There's not one weakness on that entire team. Not one. So the Astros move on to the World Series, and then you've got the Yankees who move on to the offseason. What about the National League Championships? We'll have more on the World Series each day. We've got till Friday. We'll do predictions. We'll do previews, all those sort of things. What about the Phillies? Do I need to finally admit this was a tough one for me because I didn't want either team to win? I'm not a big fan of Scott Boris. You know that. I didn't think Bryce Harper was a winning player. The Nationals were better off without him. They won the series in 2019, the year he left. How about this for a random Monday? I was wrong about Bryce Harper. He is a winning player. Right now. What he did, if you have not seen the video, do it. Not now, not for a few minutes like 25 minutes, but after that, please watch the video of what Bryce Harper did in the eighth inning off Suarez, who was the San Diego pitcher. He hit a two-run go-ahead home run to win the pennant for the Phillies. It was not a walk-off home run, but it was close enough. He performed in a way that only winners perform. That's the bottom line. So much happened in the Phillies series against the Padres. Way more than in the Yankees series, to tell you the truth. Let's talk about what the Phillies did. No love loss for Joe Girardi. I'm happy he keeps getting jobs. He won a World Series in 2009 with the Yankees. I think that's terrific. We gave him his first shot in 2006 with the Marlins. He then went into media and then got hired by the Phillies. It was a huge fire, a uh, huge hire <laughs> where they thought that was a Freudian slip. It was a huge hire where the Phillies thought that by bringing in Joe Girardi and Dave Dombrowski, they were going to do what their owner, John Middleton, wanted and compete for, get to, and win a World Series. They found out quickly that Joe Girardi was not going to be their manager. They found out quickly that his style was not going to fit with the clubhouse in Philadelphia, and they had the guts to fire him this year. So they're 22 and 29, going nowhere. I'm giving you weight to seize left and right that the Phillies are not going to make the playoffs. They're finished. They stink. That's the end. Sorry, I just dropped. Did you hear that, Coco? Sorry about that. That was my phone dropping. That was everything dropping. They're 22 and 29, and that's it. Girardi fired. How often do teams do in-season firings? We did it all the time. Does it work? It worked once. Jack McKeon won the World Series in 03, having taken over for Jeff Torborg in the middle of a season. It's the total dream scenario. With the Phillies, there was no chance it was going to happen. All of a sudden, the Phillies are... in a playoff race because of extended, extended playoffs, the Philadelphia Phillies were the final team to qualify for the playoffs. They only made it because the Brewers couldn't win a damn game the last two weeks of the season. Otherwise, the Phillies would not have even made the playoffs. God, I love baseball. You can sneak into the playoffs, and then if you're a good enough team and you're hot and you sustain that heat, you can win a ring. People are saying, oh, that's outrageous. The Phillies have 87 victories. They shouldn't be in the World Series. The Mets had 100 victories. The Dodgers had, Mets had 101. The Dodgers had 111. The Braves had 100 victories. Where are they all? Doesn't matter. It's all about the ring. So Bryce Harper embraces as the captain of that team, Rob Thompson, as the interim manager. And all of a sudden, the Phillies start playing better. And they're about 25 games over 500 after Rob Thompson takes over. Now, what did the manager do that was different than Girardi? He was a calming presence. He loved... Now, Joe Girardi, a little known fact here about Joe, he is a player's manager. People always say a player's manager versus not thinking that a player's manager has to be all cuddly and let the players do whatever they want and that's what a player manager is. That's not true. The definition of a player manager is a manager who under all circumstances will take the side of the players versus the front office every time. A player's manager is a manager who will advocate to the front office certain things that players want, need, and should have even if the manager himself does not believe that they want, need, or should have it. A player's manager is a manager who communicates with his players and players believe is not a mole to the front office. That's the modern-day definition. Modern, it's been going on for 20 years. Definition of a player's manager. A non-player's manager is a manager who is not just very, very strict, but the most important definition of a non-player manager is a manager who the players say and believe does not have their back. That's the biggest factor. Most managers in Major League Baseball are player managers. So the Phillies make this change. They can't lose. But still, they barely make it into the playoffs. Then they're down in their first playoff game. They have to win two out of three against the Cardinals in St. Louis. They come back with a six-run ninth inning in their first playoff game this year, and everyone said, my God, could this be the beginning of a magical run? You never think it can be. It's hard to pinpoint when you're going through it that this is a magical run that's starting. You only go back in time once you've had the magic, and you say, oh, it seems like the magic started on that particular day. If you win the first game against St. Louis 6-2 and lose the next two, and you're out of the playoffs in the first round, which is what they should have been, huh? Doesn't seem very magical, it's a cool comeback, it's a win, but everyone forgets about it. You come back with six runs in the top of the ninth inning and beat the Cardinals six to two, and then win the series, and then somehow beat Atlanta, and then somehow beat San Diego, and you're in the pennant, and you're won the pennant, everything takes on a different sort of view. There's a rule that we had during the playoff run and that all teams should have, and the Padres violated that rule. I want to lose with my best. The San Diego Padres lost that game with Suarez, Roberto Suarez, pitching to Josh, to Bryce Harper. Granted, Suarez had not given up a home run to a lefty all year. And Harper's a lefty. Suarez is a righty. But they traded for Josh Hader at the deadline. Josh Hader, who had been lights out, not when he first got to San Diego, but recently, lights out. You know that you've got to win this game to keep the series going and to go to San Diego. Josh Hader cannot pitch three games in a row, games five, six, and seven. Josh Hader can't go multiple innings three days in a row, five, six, and seven. No off days. Josh Hader cannot do a multiple inning save because only once has he been asked to do it, where the Brewers asked him quite a lot. The Padres have not. And this year he has not. He's too injury prone. There's too much risk. The delivery's too funky. You want it to be a one inning appearance. All of that is true. But you know what else is true? The Padres don't have a game today. How do you not lose with your best player? If Hayter gives up the home run to Bryce Harper, tip the cap, go home. If Hayter ends up not giving up the home run and the Padres win and go back to San Diego, you figure it out. They had Blake Snell ready to go for game six. Joe Musgrove ready to go for game seven. You get someone else in your bullpen to go deep. You go back to your starter from yesterday who could make an appearance in a game seven. There are myriad things that you can do tomorrow and the next day during the regular season you don't manage like your pants are on fire you don't manage like you have to win today managers who do that Buck Showalter happens to be one of them by the way for all you Mets fans managers who do that you end up not getting the most out of your team long term because you are crushing them Dusty Baker used to be that way with the Cubs and with the Giants not as much anymore with the Astros he finally learned how to handle a pitching staff, something he didn't know how to do in the early years of his career of managing. By the way, congratulations Dusty Baker. We should have mentioned him with the ALCS. He has a chance to win his first World Series as a manager. He's been doing it 25 years, that's cool. So, in the regular season, you cannot manage as though there is no tomorrow, because there is a tomorrow, and sometimes you're willing to give up a game today knowing that you've got a stretch of games that start tomorrow. And you've got to deal with that in the regular season. I adhere to that point of view. I agree with that point of view. When you're in a must-win game, which means you're facing elimination, everybody's available, period. It's simply outrageous. It's simply outrageous. Okay. Coke, I think we need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have much more. Don't worry. We're going to have more on the Phillies. We're going to have more on the Astros. Each day we'll talk about a different angle of the World Series that you're not going to hear anywhere else, a conversation. When we come back, we're going to review the new Brad Pitt movie, and then I'm going to talk about something that happened uh, in the NBA yesterday. We will be right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. It's Monday, October 24th. Were you up late last night? Were you watching as the Astros swept the Yankees out of the playoffs? We've got our World Series teams ready to roll. But doesn't matter. Working morning, noon, and night. I'm still watching a movie every day. I spent the money. Coca doesn't like spending the money, but I did. I rented Bullet Train, and I watched it. Bullet Train is a movie that takes place literally on a bullet train. In Japan, it stars Brad Pitt, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Big Ben. That's not his name, Coca. What's the guy's name? The singer? We just talked about a pre-show, and we didn't write it in the rundown. I can't hear you. Big Bunny, yes. Bad Bunny. (laughs) All right, cut that. I'm going to look like an idiot. Okay, ready? Two, six, nine. Watch Bullet Train, which stars Brad Pitt, Aaron Taylor Johnson, and Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny, who who doesn't love Bad Bunny? Unbelievably talented, successful musician. I listen to his music all the time. He plays a character called The Wolf. Hey, folks, I never heard of Bad Bunny. I didn't know who Bad Bunny was. I know there's this character in the movie and in the credits and in IMDb, which I always look at after the movie when I'm reading the reviews and I'm looking at who's who and what's what. Aaron Taylor-Johnson, the guy who was in Savages. Yeah, so there's this character who has a name... And then the actor who has a name, and then aka Bad Bunny. And I just remember thinking, wait, Bad Bunny? That's his actual name? Now I'm gonna sound old and ignorant to you, but whatever. I didn't know. So this movie is sort of a comedy. It's a comedy about Brad Pitt who there's a cameo and I don't want to ruin it, but Brad Pitt has someone in his ear, sort of like Scarlett Johansson and her with Joaquin Phoenix, and she plays he plays a some sort of uh, Hitman, who's responsible, he's sort of a snatch and grab guy, is what he really refers to himself. And he's trying to get a briefcase. There's other people trying to get briefcases. Everyone's trying to kill everybody else. It's not a mystery. It's just a fast paced, get it, bullet train. It's a fast paced movie that mixes humor, some violence, some moral lessons. I was in. It is a popcorn movie. There is not one thing you will learn. There is not one ounce of intellect required. There is not one life lesson to be imparted upon you. If you want to be entertained for an hour and a half to two hours, I can't remember the running time, maybe an hour 50, watch Bullet Train. It's got Bad Bunny in it. Why wouldn't you wanna watch it? All right, nothing personal, pick of the day. We had a terrible weekend, 0-3. Padres over the Phillies Friday, negative. Yankees over the Astros Saturday, negative. And what the hell happened to the Packers yesterday? I've just about had it with the Green Bay Packers. I've had it with Aaron Rodgers. The guy, if you don't want to play, don't take the money. Retire. Step away. Go back to Shaleen. Go back to Danica. Do whatever you're going to do. Don't waste my emotion as a Packer fan. It's so obvious you're miserable. You need the money, take it. You know what? I agree. It's all about money. Take the money if they're not going to release you. If I'm the Green Bay Packers front office, I'm trying to find a way to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. I'm trying to find a way to not pay Aaron Rodgers. It's like he doesn't even care. The Packers have lost to the Giants, Jets, and Commanders. Now, the Giants and Jets, oh, they're amazing. One's 6-1, one, one's 5-2. The Jets have won four in a row. They beat the Broncos. The Giants beat the Jaguars. Yippee-ki-yay. I get it. It's outrageous that the Packers have lost those three games in a row. I'm tired of it. The Commanders? Tonight, we're going away from baseball because there's no baseball games. We're going away from football because I'm not watching the Monday night game, and neither are you. But there is a story in the NBA. There's a great story going on right now. The Utah Jazz are undefeated. <laughs> Stockton and Malone and Eaton and Brian Russell have performed in a way this year that was completely unexpected. The Utah Jazz traded away Rudy Gobert. They traded away Donovan Mitchell. They are tanking for Tua. That's what I'm calling it because I don't know how to say and I don't know how many times you are gonna have to say over the course of the show over the next few months, Wembenyama, but that is the big thing right now in the NBA is tanking for that seven foot three or seven foot four French high schooler professional. I think he's playing professionally in France. He he seven four and he's got the ability to shoot the three. He handles the ball like Magic Johnson. He shoots threes like Steph Curry, and he blocks shots like Takembe Matumbo. Tanking is a huge thing. Figured the Jazz were doing that. Meanwhile, the Jazz are undefeated. Does that mean they're not tanking? No. Jazz, plus one versus the Rockets. The Rockets are really bad. So we're taking the Jazz getting a point, and they're going to go to 4-0. The Jazz are going to be undefeated and are undefeated, and the Lakers haven't won a game. Did you watch the Lakers? Anyway, I digress. I digress. The Sixers in 2013, so starting a season like this, people have talked about the Jazz, are they good, are they not good. It's early. The Sixers won 19 games in 2013 after starting the season 3-0. and It's like in baseball teams that start. Do you remember one year when a team started like 6-0, and 7-0, and then lost 100 games? It can totally happen. All right, let's talk about something that happened in the NBA yesterday that blew my mind. Adam Silver has a schedule that he gets for the beginning of the season. He works with his PR people. He works with his top lieutenants. And like all commissioners, they figure out where they're going to be, both during the playoffs, but we'll get to that later, in the start of the season. Where are you going to appear? Which games? Rob Manfred's commissioner came to Miami for the opening of the ballpark in 2012 and uh no excuse me let me let me say that again please in 2012 in the new ballpark we wanted bud selig no that's not right either okay this is a monday morning brain thing rob manford came to the new ballpark as commissioner on a particular year or was it bud selig in 12 i don't remember but the point is the same That's funny. I'm having Monday morning because it doesn't feel like a Monday. It feels like a Thursday to me. That's how tired I am. However, when the commissioner comes to your building, one of the things you want the commissioner to do and what you ask the commissioner to do is to spend a few minutes with your employees, your employees in sales and marketing and finance, lower-level employees who would not otherwise have an opportunity to ever spend time with the commissioner. The commissioner takes some questions, The commissioner gets prepped by his PR people. The commissioner meets with the team president in advance to talk about different topics, different talking points. Adam Silver and his schedule this year, there was no question that the Phoenix Suns were going to be a stop on his opening of season tour. The Phoenix Suns are in a situation where their owner is selling Robert Sarver, hasn't sold yet. They're in a situation where the NBA did an investigation and found the workplace in Phoenix was toxic, misogynistic, racist, problematic in every possible way. So Adam Silver goes and meets all of the hundreds of employees, and I'm not talking about coaches and assistant coaches and players, I'm talking about people you don't see. Ticket salespeople, marketing interns, the controller, the CFO. The CTO, chief technical officer. People in IT who go around fixing computers. Everybody. So Adam Silver sits down in front of these hundreds of employees and took complete responsibility for the Robert Sarver situation. I found that to be interesting because there's going to be a bunch of lawsuits going on. And... Uh, for him to acknowledge that the nba has to be better in protecting its employees fascinates me because he's opened himself up if there's another situation where there's a phoenix situation where employees are getting harassed employees are getting retaliated against employees do not feel they have anywhere to go with their complaints with their concerns the nba is now telling you hey our bad Adam Silver sat there and said to the Phoenix Suns employees that he let them down. I would have approached it differently if I'm Adam Silver. I would say that the process of having Robert Sarver as owner and approved as owner is something that we've got to improve. We need to do a better job vetting owners, We need to do a better job of making sure that people in charge understand what it is to run a business, that people in charge have systems in place to make sure that you are all protected. I want to get the NBA off of the blame train. Adam Silver, however, went the opposite way. Adam Silver basically admitted We don't have a good enough structure where employees feel comfortable to call our hotlines. We don't do well enough in human resources to make it so all organizations are run properly. We need to be better, and we're going to be. He then caveated it by telling the employees, hey, listen, it's hard to know what's going on in 32 teams, or is it 30? How many times am I going to get that wrong, Coca? How many times? The NBA is 32, MLB is 30. I think the NBA is 32. 30-T-O-O, not T-W-O. So Adam Silver says, I'm taking responsibility for the situation. He got a bunch of questions and I thought it was terrific what he did. But then he kept going. When you're meeting with Suns employees and you're doing it purposely to let them know, hey, we're here for you. We are so sorry what you've gone through. We are going to make sure that no other employees have to go through this again. That's a perfect meeting. You finish the meeting and then you move on to the next city. But Adam Silver opened it up to questions. When a commissioner opens up a meeting to questions from lower-level employees of one of his teams, one of the lead teams, you're bound to get questions from employees who want to be remembered. They're trying to show that they're thinking about cool things, different things, that they're interested in the league. They're trying to get bigger jobs in the organization. They're trying to work for the league. They're trying to be impressive. I get it. I'm in. But why ask a question when you know you're not going to get an answer? Phoenix Suns employees asked several questions that there's no way Adam Silver was going to answer, and then he did. They asked a question about tanking. This is a meeting about one of the great human resources problems in the history of the game. This is a meeting about an owner who is being forced to sell and is now selling the team. This is a meeting about the uncertainty of the future and trying to assuage all the employees' egos and issues that, hey, we're going to be good here. It's not going to be like it was for all those years. You're not going to be the butt of every joke around the league. But the headline that came out of it is the fact that the NBA is considering relegation in order to avoid tanking? Can I just end this right here? And I don't mean the show. There will never be relegation in the National Basketball Association. Hard stop. Never. Bringing a G League team up to the NBA, moving an NBA League team down to the G League, it's never going to happen. I don't care if you are tanking, rebuilding. I don't care if you're the Utah Jazz and you have no players who anyone's ever heard of. I don't care if Kelly Olenek is doing a game-winning shot for you at the NBA level. You are not being relegated. Hard stop. Why bring that up if you're Adam Silver? Why say? Why even answer the question? Why talk about, hey, we're following very closely. We're going to watch very closely as teams try to get Victor. That's his name. As they try to get Victor Wembanyama we're gonna make sure the teams are not tanking. No, you're not. You've already changed the lottery system so the the worst team doesn't get the biggest chance at the number one pick, you've made it a lottery. If the worst team got the number one pick, then we're talking tanking. They have the same percentage chance as the second worst team, as the third worst team. Every single year, half the teams are gonna have to finish below 500, half the teams are gonna have to finish above 500. Every year, teams are going to lose. Don't you want front offices who are smart enough to know when they're gonna lose, when they're not gonna lose? Why are we not encouraging teams to be more like the Houston Astros? Why wouldn't you want teams to tank and then rebuild and then have a sustained period of winning? Dynasties are good for the sport. Lakers, Celtics, Bulls, Pistons, Spurs. You want the smartest people doing the smartest things in your sport? Relegation? Give me a small break. Adam Silver had an opportunity to have a great meeting with employees, an important meeting, a purposeful meeting. He got totally totally sidetracked by these ridiculous comments, and that's what's getting the attention. All the articles, that's what everybody's talking about, is what Adam Silver said to Suns employees about relegation, about tanking. You had one job to do, Adam, when you met with the Suns, and that was to be comforting to them, to let them know that everything was going to be okay. And instead, you made sure that the takeaway was that it's just business.